Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Bird Gang Blitz. We're recording here on a Sunday night. Uh, I'll be uh, just before the kickoff of the legal tampering period for free agency. We'll be kind of previewing that, breaking down the combine. I'm joined with my co-host as always. Johnny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Blake. It's good to be back here on the eve of free agency. And uh, I can sense We've had some moves within the National Football League landscape over the past couple of days and uh, a whole lot more about to break this week. Definitely. Uh, before we get into the free agency news, let's go at least and just kind of break down the, the end of the combine because it was an interesting combine in terms of just for the Arizona Cardinals. You got to see a lot of these quarterbacks actually come into the combine throw. The number one potential pick in Sam Darnold did not throw. Uh, and a lot of news came out of the combine. We'll talk a little bit about Tyron Matthew. We'll talk a little bit about um, just some of the potential cuts that the Cardinals might be looking at. Um, but first of all, John, let's talk about the winners and losers for the combine because in some cases, I think it surprised people this year. Um, Shaquem Griffin became kind of the big story going on. But who were some of your other winners and losers that, that you saw this year for the – and what could be some of those players that you could see the Cardinals targeting or maybe a little more on their wire after the combine? Well, I think the biggest winner to me uh, at a position of need, obviously, for the Cardinals is quarterback and Josh Allen. You knew that this was going to be his opportunity to showcase you know, his physical skill set that, that it frankly, is unmatched in this draft class. He put up subpar numbers at the college level for the University of Wyoming. So he came into this combine with a lot to prove, decided to throw. We knew he would be good in interviews, but he looked incredibly accurate. He looked incredibly sharp in the drills that I saw him in. He's a, he's a physical specimen, first of all. He's, 
you know, with cleats on probably about six, five, six, five and a half. And then you combine the fact that, you know, he's not one of these stereotypical statue quarterbacks. He can move. He ran a four, seven. That's better than, you know, a good amount of these other quarterbacks that we consider mobile. So, you know, you combine the fact that he's got a big time arm, um, he's mobile, like I just mentioned, and the, um, intangible factor appears to be there. He, he looks like a good kid, but then you just kind of cross-reference it with the fact that he just had such poor numbers, uh, for the competition level he played at, he needed to have, you know, a tremendous, tremendous combine. And I think he's done that. I think honestly, Blake, he solidified himself as a top 20, top 15 pick. I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the top 10. I think that a lot of these teams that are picking whether it's the Jets or the Broncos or the Browns, they play in cold weather. Buffalo could trade up. They play in cold weather environments that fit his skill set. Whereas, you know, you look at Lamar Jackson, was his combine subpar? Some may say, you know, it's so based on the fact that he didn't look great throwing the football. And Josh Allen really, I think, silenced a lot of doubters. It just comes down to the fact that do you trust a guy coming into your system that could only complete 56% of his passes at that you know level of college football? It's going to be the biggest boom or bust prospect. We've talked about it for months on end, but I really thought he was one of the biggest winners of the mob. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Uh, as far as for on the opposite spectrum for losers, Orlando Brown is a guy I've actually even seen mocked to the Cardinals a couple of times, whether it's been at guard position at right guard or mostly at tackle, since a lot of people are wondering if Jared Valdir is going to stay with the team. And he put up perhaps one of the worst combines we've seen since Vontez Perfect. Uh, it was just uh, abysmal in terms of um, not just the actual performance, um, but not to mention the fact that the coaches were yelling at him on the sidelines. Kind of got a lot of publicity as far as that. It seems like this is a guy who's probably going to slip down maybe into the second or third round. He still has pretty overall quick feet. He's a movable guy. But just in terms of for the performance and the work to be able to get to there at 360 pounds, the comp that I had at least was a Deuce Latouille as far as for that guy who comes into the league plays for a few years, at least as far as that one, can probably even play at a decently high level. But ultimately, the weight is an area that's going to be really hard to keep off for that one. Was there anyone else who you thought had a poor job at the Combine or uh, just other thoughts, at least on Orlando Brown's poor performance? Well, Brown immediately comes to mind because of the fact that I ranked him probably as the best pure offensive tackle in this draft. And Oklahoma has a has a good track record of producing quality offensive linemen. Lane Johnson comes to mind. And the fact that, you know, they put up so many points and he, he held up frankly quite well in the national semifinal against Georgia. I thought, you know what, go in, put together a nice showing. You're going to be a top, you know, 20 to 15 pick, maybe even a top 10 pick. And he completely mailed it in. Uh, that just shows you, you know, a lack of the want to be a, a great professional. That's somebody who probably is leaning more on his pure athleticism, not willing to put the work in. And he cost himself millions of dollars. And it's unfortunate because right now there's not a lot of great offensive tackles in this draft. He really could have solidified himself as the premier tackle uh, or at least one of the, the, the three along with the University of Texas and University of Notre Dame's tackles um, respectively. But uh, I think now he's more than likely going to go on day three. I think if you use a, you know, a first or a second or even a third round pick on him, what are you getting exactly? I think he's going to have to showcase that the, the combine was a complete you know, mirage and, and put together a hell of a pro day. And uh, it's just, it's honestly really unfortunate because it's a position. Yeah, I definitely agree. The, 
Yeah, I definitely agree. The biggest thing that Brown did, at least, that hurt himself wasn't even just the rest of that, but the coaches having to yell at him for slacking off was um, probably the biggest indicator. Now, that can change. We've heard of guys like, you know, like Knee Deep with DJ Humphrey. We've seen him turn it around. A part of the reason the Cardinals were confident in that was that they had meetings with him. They got to know the player. They at least understood that once they brought him in, he wasn't going to be ready to start in year one. He had to learn him. It also took him having a child. Like with him, I still do believe, at least with Tyron Matthew having his son and DJ Humphrey having their sons, I do believe that that act changed the whole rest of their NFL outlooks as far as for Matthew. He had already committed to change before that. I think that solidified it. Uh, DJ Humphreys went and realized that if he did not perform and start putting together a solid work ethic, he was not going to be able to last at the NFL level. And that's something we still haven't even seen from a guy like a Robert Kandici, who people have talked about as far as, is he going to be kind of a reclamation project for the new defensive line or the new defensive coordinator, I should say, in Al Holcomb. Is he going to be a guy who's going to end up kind of getting the light bulb turned on like it was last year? We've heard at least there's times where Arians knocked him out. Uh, as far as for just doing his own thing and not following the play call, as far as for whether you talk about selfishness, that's probably part of the reason he ended up in the doghouse. And the other thing is also, his, uh, I remember an interview his first year, they asked him about if he had to change his eating habits with the NFL. And he said, well, you know, if you weigh in a certain weight, that's really about all that the coaches ask for. And that was just kind of an area of, not arrogance, but just not understanding that, you know, a guy like John Brown had to give up fast food after his rookie season when he recognized what the, what is needed. And it's just like your job, you know, if you're going to be on your job and you're going to be spending most of the times that you have staying up until 2 a.m. at nights for that and you've got to have work at 7 a.m. in the morning, you're not going to be prepared for your job. And it's the same thing in the NFL. Uh, a lot of these guys are, you know, 20-somethings who uh, still have to mature somewhat as adults. And those first couple of years of development are important. I thought that was at least interesting. And so for Brown, it's really going to be a team who maybe he ends up falling even as far as round three for a team who decides that they want to take him on. But with how you need tackles in the NFL and how well he performed in college, I, I don't think that you'll see him. Uh, he probably won't, probably won't fall out of the top 50 picks at least. Uh, if he does, he'll for sure go on the first 100. Uh, let's go over the, some of the running backs because this is probably one of the best years in recent memory that we've had for running backs. And it's led by Saquon Barkley, who put up probably one of the best combines that we've seen in recent memory. Like, I, I believe they said that he's ran faster than Deshaun Jackson. He had, I believe, a higher, further jump than Julio Jones. He basically put on almost a David Johnson-like performance, and that's been the comp that people have been throwing out, even though he had a faster 40 than DJ. Uh, uh, Nick Chubb is another guy who came out, and he would probably be the guy who put up similar stats to Todd Gurley as far as with um, – he would have at least done that in college had he not suffered a terrible injury or had a, a great player like Sony Michelle behind him. He would have been the talk of the combine, if not for Barkley. Darius Geis had another fantastic um, combine as well. Talk a little bit about the running backs. The Cardinals aren't going to take a running back in the first round at 15. They're probably not going to take one in the second round. But with this deep year for running backs, do you see that there's a back that maybe stood out a bit or that they could look at in the for later? Or are we going to be kind of looking at another year of David Johnson, Kerwin Williams, seeing what TJ Logan has to offer? Well, I'll get to that um, real quick, Blake. I don't think there's any need to, to draft a running back this year. I think David Johnson coming back with, with essentially fresh legs, didn't suffer a lower body injury in uh, 2017 and should be ready to go for 300-plus carries. Um, that's what you, you – you, you know, that's what you drafted him for. That's why they're going to give him a contract extension. Uh, I like what I see out of TJ Logan in the brief appearance that he had. I think he's going to be ready to go again. Not a lower body injury. Uh, suffered, suffered an injury to, uh, I believe, his forearm. Uh, and so you think about the fact that both those guys are going to be hungry and ready to go this year. Kerwin Williams, always solid. Elijah Penny had a, had a nice end to the last season. So running back to me is one of the 
few positions offensively they're able to check off. But you look at this this class, and it, it really could be a historic running back class. Barkley, to me, is David Johnson's clone plus, you know, a little extra. You get a little bit of Barry Sanders and the fact that you know, he's able to make people miss in the open field. You know, we've seen him hurdle defenders uh, like Ezekiel Elliott. He's got everything you want. Plus, I think uh, in tune with David, he's, he's a tremendous human being by all accounts in three seasons at Penn state, he had almost 4,000 yards rushing 43 touchdowns. Uh, and then also can receive, uh, exceptionally well with, uh, almost 1200 yards receiving with eight touchdowns. I don't think he's as good of a receiver as David is, but as a pure runner, he's superior. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, only 21 years old. He's got a long prosperous career ahead of him. I think that he's going to go easily in the top four or five picks. I'm not sure I buy all the hoopla that he could go number one or number two to the giants and the Browns considering how badly they need quarterbacks. But uh, I do think that, you know, somebody, We'll take him in the first four or five picks. Darius Geis is a tremendous prospect. He reminds me of Marshawn Lynch. Just the overall power and explosiveness that he has to his game, I think is a little bit overshadowed by the fact that he did have to follow Leonard Fournette. But you remember Fournette's last year at LSU, he was banged up. And then you saw this young man come in and uh, substitute for him and look just as good and not miss a beat. So they, uh, they breed quality running backs down there um, in LSU. And so I think he's going to have probably a first – probably top 20 grade on him. At least I do. I think somebody like the Detroit lions would be best served looking at him uh, at number 20 right now. And then, like you mentioned, the, the Georgia backs to me are incredibly solid. Nick Chubb would have been, I think one of the talks of this draft uh, early on, had he not blown out his knee uh, a couple years ago, I think he would have gone in the last year's draft and been a first round um, pick incredibly solid. He reminds me a little bit, like you said, a Todd girl. I think he's got a little bit of Frank Gorda, his game, too. And co- coincidentally, Frank also had a uh, you know horrific college injury that he was able to bounce back from. He might be the best in-between-the-tackles runner in this draft. He's not going to catch the football as consistently as some of the other guys. But if you want to tackle the tackle guy like you know DeMarco Murray, like a Frank Gore, uh, I think he's somebody who can grind out 25 to 30 carries a game and put up 1,000 yards rushing. Um, so, yeah, it's a historic class. I think that it's going to benefit the Cardinals. The, the better these guys do – uh, it'll benefit the Cardinals when looking at other positions. Gonna, it's going to push guys down. And I, I also think, Blake, that the running back position is kind of back in vogue in the NFL. There was a period of time where the, out, outside of you know your Adrian Petersons, it was kind of devalued. And now you see Todd Gurley, you know, Offensive Player of the Year, essentially could have won the MVP outside of Tom Brady, uh, clearly the best running back in football last year. We saw what David Johnson did for the Cardinals. Two years ago, the Cardinals were lucky to win seven games, and that was due much in part to what he brought to the table. There are so many quality running backs. Ezekiel Elliott, Dallas just isn't right without him on the field. Um, it really kind of makes that position um, noteworthy now. And you see with a lot of these defensive alignments and, and teams going smaller, uh, specifically in their front seven, we've seen it with the Cardinals converting safeties into linebackers for that speed element, but you lose a little bit of depth and you lose a little bit of girth. Uh, and so teams are more likely now to pound it in between the tackles and control the line of scrimmage. Uh, we saw Carolina do that on the way to a Super Bowl with Jonathan Stewart. They drafted Christian McCaffrey last year. I think that's a position now that's having a resurgence and that's good for the Cardinals because it's one of the few positions that they have. I definitely. I think it's also an area of depth where if you look at how many top quality running backs there are, you could even say that. And I'm personally, I think that um, with how much they're talking about running the ball with Mike McCoy, I would probably draft another running back because if you're going to look at adding a veteran, like maybe let's see, even look at adding a Jonathan Stewart, 
I know that there's a guy like a Doug Martin who maybe could be had for a one-year deal. Um, I would just lean towards drafting the guy on the cheaper contract. And then when we were talking about locking up David Johnson, it's pretty fortunate, honestly, for the Cardinals that Le'Veon Bell is choosing to play, un- or not choosing to play, he's signing his franchise tender that the Steelers chose to tag him. Perhaps you end up seeing some sort of deal later if a team's willing to give up a draft pick. I, I don't really think so. I think the Steelers are trying to figure out what his value is for the sheer amount of carries that he's had over the last few years. But I think the Cardinals have a chance to lock up David Johnson to a pretty fair and cheap deal to the point of where you look at his age, you look at coming off of an injury from last year. I think they're going to be kind of looking back on that contract, maybe two or three years down the road, seeing what some of these running backs, where they're getting drafted and how much they're going to get paid eventually. I think that that's really going to be handy for the Cardinals, at least that you didn't see Le'Veon Bell get like, you know, the, the four year with uh, you know, $45 million guaranteed contract for a running back who might start breaking down at any time. For a couple other running backs, as far as just we're touching on that, I thought it was interesting how uh, Rashad Penny did stand out as far as for being an athlete. Um, he's, of course, Elijah Penny's uh, other brother uh, out of San Diego State, and I think that he's a guy who could make an impact on special teams. Kalen Balaj also, he needed a big combine because he was really sparsely used at Arizona State. Uh, he had the one seven touchdown game. Other than that, it was more of just struggled in between the tackles. I think when you're bringing up that point of running in between the tackles, a guy like a Nick Chubb and even a guy like a Royce Freeman are just going to be kind of this whole new thing of pounding up the middle, getting back to the fullback days, setting up play action, especially when we're looking at uh, wide receivers that are honestly like not really coming out of college all that developed as far as their route running. You see these guys who are big physical freaks and you see this depth of cornerback we've never seen before. I believe that they said there's going to be about 40, I think it was like 44 cornerbacks or something that were there at the combine. And all of them just were kind of crazy as far as for how, not just how talented they were, the production. Um, that's something we can probably talk a little bit about. It's just the cornerback uh, production. The Cardinals, in my opinion, if they don't end up getting a quarterback at 15, I think that that's their game plan. But let's say that for in an instance, they don't get a quarterback. Let's say that you see a guy like Quentin Nelson gone. You don't know if there's a whale hernandez is there. Is there a cornerback the Cardinals could maybe look for, like a Jair Alexander or another guy to bring in, maybe in rounds two or three if they end up having some picks left for that one? Is, is corner a position of need for the Cardinals to draft this year? Or should they be looking at getting that veteran guy who's out there bringing back a Tremont Williams? Uh, Dominique rogers Camardi even is now available, potentially could be had for that. Is this kind of an area where the Cardinals – do we need to look at youth for the position or are we going to start to look at a veteran to kind of get by and then focus on that maybe in the 2020 draft? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I wouldn't use quality resources on the defensive side period in the first round outside of maybe if you fall in love with a defensive lineman where the Cardinals are a little bit susceptible to, you know, the lack of talent. Robert Kandici hasn't panned out up until this point. Calais Campbell's gone for greener pastures. That's the one position I would look at, um, like if Avita Vide was there of Washington. But as far as a cornerback at 15 or even in the second round, I would adv- highly advise against it. The Cardinals have so many other needs, especially on the offensive side of the football. They could use any of the five positions up front of the offensive line. They could use a quality receiver to complement Larry Fitzgerald and what could be his last season. And of, of course they need a quarterback and they may, they may need two quarterbacks in this draft. We don't know, but to use it, you know, a high caliber pick on a, another defensive back. When you talk about, you know, the looming decision with Tyron Matthew, you traded up last year for uh, a defensive back. Granted, he's a safety hybrid in Buda Baker. You've got Patrick Peterson, you're paying him big time money. 
Uh, I think they would like to bring back, by all accounts, Tremont Williams, who had a nice season. I think you can find number two and three corners in the free agent market, not necessarily on the cheap, but you could get them on these one or two year deals like they found Antonio Cromartie for a year and got quality play, got Pro Bowl play out of Cromartie. So I don't like the idea of investing in that position unless you're close. I think that's a position where you could get a starter, uh, you know, a high caliber player at the end of the first round if you're close to to a Super Bowl. I could see Philly doing it. I could see, you know, New England doing it, Jacksonville, but for the Cardinals, they have so many other needs and you can find corners in any round. You, really by all accounts, you can't find quality um, quarterbacks outside of the first or second round, you know, outside of maybe, you know, a Dak Prescott or a Russell Wilson, but those are outliers outside of, you know, the first two or three rounds, you can't find quality offensive linemen receivers and corners to me are, are positions that you find good players on day three, small school players. Um, you know, I like Isaiah Oliver from Colorado. I think he would do well in the Cardinal system, press man, six foot, 200 pounds, um, played well uh, in the pac 12. But again, am I going to use the 15th overall pick on him when the Cardinals have so many question marks offensively? And I get it. We're going to fast forward to April. They're going to make some additions in free agency, but are they going to make big time acquisitions? We'll talk about that. I, I can't see them answering all their questions in free agency. I don't think I want them to answer all their questions in free agency based on the fact that the caliber of players outside of a couple are not worth investing long-term money in. So it's, to me, it just, it doesn't make sense, especially, especially when you talk about how special this quarter quarterback class is so I would pass on a corner at 15 Blake yeah I would agree at least as far as for there's not really a huge need you could say not just even with Arizona's scheme but if they bring Tremont Williams back you at least have another year with him you'd hope see if he can at least stay healthy uh, I, I think it'd be interesting at least now that Rogers Camardi is out there I mean he moved into the slot to be able to help cover that perhaps that is kind of a reunion that the Cardinals could even look at as far as a one-year deal reset some of the market value he's getting up there in age as far as I like it it's kind of weird to think about the fact that you know 10 years ago on that 2008 Super Bowl is when the, he and Fitzgerald were out there and they're both still kicking it in the league uh, <laughs> is interesting uh, we'll get into some more of the free agents that are out there uh, the one last thing I wanted to touch on at least is the wide receivers because I've said at least that I do think that with the Cardinals having to rebuild their team and having only Chad Williams, JJ Nelson outside of, of the returning Larry Fitzgerald right now. I think that they do need to invest in a wide receiver. The question is just what's going to be the cost for that, especially if you're looking at, if you're going to be in round one, you're trying to focus on a quarterback. Maybe you can see if there's a, is there a wide receiver even worth the 15th overall pick if you're not able to get a quarterback and maybe you're not able to trade back. You're going to be looking at this more in round two, day two or three. There's just so many questions, at least when it comes to drafting a wide receiver, um, not just because of the Cardinals needs and ability, but just the cost it is versus the relative value. And perhaps we'll get a lot of this answered. Maybe the Cardinals will get two guards in free agency and to start taking a look at, maybe they'll be taking a, you know, another type of quarterback moving up and then freeze up the space for a wide receiver on day two or three. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. I know that just from the combine, you know, you've got a guy like Courtland Sutton's been mentioned a lot. He's kind of has seen his stock go from round one down to more of like a round two type area. Um, again, guys like a, uh, you know, the I, I believe his name is Antonio Callaway out of Florida, and an impressive combine. Maybe outside of you know some off field stuff, he'd be kind of in round one consideration. The guy who didn't impress very much overall, uh, surprisingly, uh, <laughs> was actually the Alabama's own kind of the overall number one uh, pick for the draft wide receiver, I should say. And Calvin Ridley, he was all right. It was as far as he ran a four, four time is doing the three count, but he really didn't seem to have that much of an impressive skill set. It's almost kind of reminds me a little bit. I could say, uh, 
if you're thinking about a John Brown coming out as far as the body type, if you're looking at some of the production, you know, it was interesting where he's polished route runner, a guy over the middle, but it doesn't seem like he's kind of that guy who's going to be like that clear fire top 10 wide receiver like we've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, DJ Moore, in fact, even put up a more impressive combine and showed some really, really good hands. And uh, the one guy I know a lot of people have mentioned as far as with the Cardinals, um, I think it's even been reported by a couple of people they might have interest in Christian Kirk, uh, either as a slot guy or an outside um, with good hands, pretty good size. He had a good combine. He might not be there in the second round just because of the fact that position players are put up. What are your thoughts at least on the wide receiver spot, Johnny? Do you think that this is a spot that the Cardinals should invest like a round two pick in, a round three pick, one of the two if they end up keeping both of their picks? Like, what exactly is kind of the need that the Cardinals have for wide receiver? Or is this a spot we should also look for these kind of one-year deals or bringing back even guys like a, like a John Brown or Jerome Brown? Well, I'll, I'll preface that all, Blake, by the fact that the Cardinals were second in the NFL last year in drops of the football. That's with Larry Fitzgerald. That just shows you how, how inept this receiving core was a year ago and, you know, how we might have, you know, complained about the play of Drew Stanton or Blaine Gabbard or even Carson Palmer at times, but they just they weren't getting it done. J.J. Nelson, to me, could be uh, a camp casualty, assuming that they bring in a couple names. Um, and I think John Brown is going to go and try to sign a one-year deal somewhere. I know that I, I could see Green Bay having interest in John Brown. Um, but again, that ship has sailed. Unfortunately, that looked like a player who was going to blossom in Arizona even after Fitzgerald was gone. Just didn't happen. So we're appreciative of, of the contributions that he gave. But it just it's not going to work out. I think he leaves. And so you look at Larry Fitzgerald. Chad Williams, who was inactive for most of last year, and then what else do you have? Well, I'll, I'll you know I'll argue the fact that they could take a wide receiver in the first round if they get Kirk Cousins in free agency. That's kind of the only scenario that I'd be comfortable with. Um, if you want to take Christian Kirk at fifteen and you've got Kirk Cousins and you've made some upgrades on the offensive line, by all means, do it. Give him weapons. We've seen that Kirk Cousins is at his best. When he has a plethora, obviously, of quality receivers, Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder, um, Jordan Reed, he can spread the ball around, and he likes to work with four wide receivers. But if the, if the Cardinals aren't able to land Kirk Cousins, and I don't think they will, taking a receiver in the first round is a lot like what they used to do when they didn't have a quarterback and an offensive line. Michael Floyd, we've talked about it, Brian Johnson way back in 2003 when they had so many other needs and they continually drafted receivers. Thankfully, it worked out with Larry when they honestly didn't need one at the time and they had Anquan Bolden. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Ridley to me is not somebody that I would put in the same mold or even close to the same mold as an AJ Green, as a Calvin Johnson, as a Julio Jones. Those are transcendent players. Uh, Mike Evans, I'd even put in that category. I think that um, he was somebody coming out that a lot of people compared to those prospects. Sammy Watkins was in that was in that same realm, although he hasn't panned out. Um, Calvin Ridley is not a physical specimen. I think he was underused because of how much they ran the football at the University of Alabama, but I also don't think that you're going to be able to build your offense or your receiving core around him. I think that he's probably Amari Cooper, um, you know, minus, or I, I don't know how to, how to yeah, best poor, say poor that. Poor man's Amari Cooper, I think, yeah. <laughs> poor man's Amari Cooper. He, I think he has better hands, but he's not as explosive. Um, to me, I, I like the Cardinals looking at the receiver position on day two with one of those two third-round picks. I know it's a pipe dream, but I'm a big Cortland Sutton fan. I think that he dominated his his level of play, had over 1,000 yards and 12, 12 touchdowns this year. He reminds me a lot of Brandon Marshall. He's 6'3 and a half. He's 220. 
big physical receiver that I think could fill Larry Fitzgerald's role, um, assuming he retires after the season. But there's nobody really I could get excited about at 15 um, outside of a couple of the guys you mentioned, Blake, and that's only if they were able to get Kirk Cousins because, honestly, we've seen – it receiver is such a hard position to come into the NFL and dominate early on unless you have a quality quarterback looked at all those guys last year who went early um and the only one that made a difference was a day two pick Juju Smith-Schuster because he had been Roethlisberger because they had injuries and suspensions to the receiving core Martavius Bryant so on and so forth so you know all those early round guys from last year the john rosses of the world they made no impact because either the quarterbacks had a, had a down year or they just weren't in offenses that were built to put them in position to succeed whereas you look at you know how pittsburgh's offense is set up perfect scenario for i think any rookie wide receiver so it's it's such a crapshoot uh, a couple of these guys will hit and they'll be good pros but again a lot of that like quarterback like offensive line depends on the situation so some guys I, I absolutely like on day two. You want to take one on day two, fine, but you got to get your quarterback first. Yeah, I would even back that up and say if you're going to take a wide receiver anywhere around the 15th overall pick, I don't think that there's one who's really worth it this year. I think you'd probably prefer to trade back maybe and get more picks because um, you'd be paying a guy like Kirk Cousins in that scenario. I would even go further and say that I would think you need to get Andrew Norwell and Kirk Cousins to justify taking a wide receiver at 15 because you're not going to have enough money then to pay a wide receiver to come in. So you're going to need to just get more talent into that room. And in that situation, you'd probably assume that Larry Fitzgerald would want to stick around for maybe at least one more season uh, rather than just having it be his last. Perhaps he's, this is his last year no matter what. But I think if he's still healthy, he's still willing to go, that he would probably come back at least for another year, maybe a run with the championship. But as we've talked about now with Kirk Cousins, whatever the Cardinals have to offer, unless he kind of buys into the culture and buys into the relationship, the Vikings are going to be able to offer him more money. The Vikings also have um, two great weapons as well as a good offensive line. They've got Dalvin cook coming back. They could always draft another running back if needed. I don't know if they're going to keep Kyle Rudolph as far as that. Some people have questioned whether he'll be a, you know, if he's going to end up as a cap casualty or if his production, um, but I do think at least that when you're looking at this draft, it's a special draft for safeties. You got a guy like a Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick, um, you're looking at kind of the, you know, even I think Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama is a guy who might be a first round talent, uh, unless you're going to be able to get one of those guys who's an outside corner, or unless you're going to try to directly uh, replace one of the safety things by adding one or kind of keep that scheme. And from all intents and purposes, we've not seen that really been a commitment that they've had from the uh, this Cardinal staff, but they're not going to really keep that area. It's more that they're going to be kind of focusing heavier on corners versus this kind of hybrid safety corner defense. And then just kind of focusing on much more of the typical kind of a linebacker scheme. It's possible that we see it switch to even a four, three, uh, as far as with guys getting more of their hand in the dirt, rushing the quarterback and the three linebackers like Luke Coochley, Thomas Davis, and Shaq Thompson. Cardinals may very well end up in that type of a scenario where you're end up not really needing to have that safety, and as a result with the cornerbacks, there's not really going to, unless, you know, you have one who happens to fall in your lap. Like if you end up having like, you know, your top ranked cornerback in this draft, let's say Denzel Ward's there, or let's say that you've got a really high grade at Jair Alexander. And I don't see that happening at least as far as for that. And I don't think the Cardinals are going to take a defensive player at 15. I, I really don't. I just think this is a time where you look at the offense and you look at what the needs of the team are. And they've got so many more needs on the offensive side. You went defensive heavy last year. You brought in an inside linebacker. You brought in Buda Baker. I think that's done with the expectation that this year you're going to be going heavy on the offensive side just to rebuild that side of the football. Uh, let's go and at least talk. There's two more little kind of quick hits on the combine to talk about. The first one I think is just looking at the incredible ability that um, – 
that you had with all of the Penn State athletes who did Mike Gusecki ended up having an incredible, like one of the highest performing athletic combines we've ever seen from a tight end. You got to see one of their safeties, at least, um, I believe it's Apke is his last name. He ran a 4-3-8, shocked like everyone, including Deion Sanders. And you look at Saquon Barkley, you know, putting up these like legendary stats. Uh, let's talk a little bit about with if the Cardinals end up see moving on at some point from the strength and conditioning coach. And I don't know if it would be them moving on. It might be that, you know, they're – it might be that their current coach at least moves on at some point because whenever you have regimes that turn over, you end up seeing a lot of times that coaches, some of them stick around for an extra year just to kind of give some consistency. Uh, and then they end up heading out. And Buddy Morris, um, he was not, uh, he's not really the guy who's been with Steve Wilkes. Uh, you know, originally with the Cardinals, their old strength and conditioning coach, I believe he stuck around for a year under Arians and then he left after year one. I think it could be a very similar situation, at least with that. So when you're looking at some of these guys, maybe it's not just in the NFL ranks, but looking at the college ranks, potentially with a guy like here at Penn State, a guy, uh, maybe the Ohio State, at least just for how incredible their athletes seem to perform every year coming into the combine, running in these four threes. The Cardinals need to kind of take a look around the league as far as if they're going to need to replace a Buddy Morris. And when you talk about how many injuries the Cardinals have had, is this kind of an area that fans are concerning? Are we putting too much emphasis onto strength and conditioning equals healthy players. Well, I think two things on that, Blake. I think number one, the reason for the injuries, in my opinion, has more to do with the the age of the players that the Cardinals were relying on in, in past years. They had been signing older veteran players in free agency, um, justifiably so for a win now mode. And that's what you have to do when your quarterback's 37. Uh, but again, Carson Palmer was going down. We saw a lot of the offensive linemen, Ayupati, Jared Beldier, they're older players uh, reaching 30 or on the wrong side of 30. So again, is it, is it that, or is it a combination of the fact that the Cardinals just had really poor luck last year, losing their franchise running back, losing their backup running back, uh, losing, you know, John Brown to sickle cell that just came out of nowhere. Uh, and he had been battling that on the defensive side, Marcus golden tore his ACL. No one saw that coming, obviously. I mean, injuries happen in the NFL, but what can you do uh, to sustain it? You have to have quality quarterback play and the Cardinals haven't had that uh, outside of Carson Palmer. So, I never feel like the Cardinals are one of the best conditioned teams in the NFL. I will say that. I think that they get off to relatively slow starts in a lot of games and have to claw their way back specifically on the road. But that's not uncommon for a lot of teams. But do I feel like a lot of the time when they – when compared to like the Seattles of the world, are they in great physical condition? No. But you look at what the Rams did last year. The Rams had a tremendous season and suffered next to no injuries. So I think a lot of it is is – luck and, and rolling the dice but at the same time you know I wouldn't be opposed to that I think it's I think you, you made a good point John Lott stuck around with Arians for one year uh, and then left but again I think more of it has to do with relying on older players for the Cardinals yeah and that's going to be interesting with as far as seeing how much of the Steve time one year type deals and wonders for older players sticks around even saw last year with Adrian Peterson they effectively traded for him for a one-year deal versus if they're going to start going with much more of a youth movement um uh, before we move on from the combine and start going around the NFL let's talk a bit about Shaquem Griffin because it was the story of the combine this is a guy who's got one hand that's been functional since birth and the other one was um, amputated at a kind of terrible disease at least that was happening uh, that kind of ate away at least at the at his fingertips um just the inspirational aspect where he was 
was expecting to put up maybe five or six reps uh, on the bench press and put up 20 with a prosthetic arm, be able to run a 4-3-8 at the combine, and just overall being probably one of the most polished athletes we've seen in a long time in that safety linebacker hybrid. Is this kind of a guy who the Cardinals should be able to take a look at as far as for when you talk about all of the other aspects of a football player, about the character, about his um, uh, ability to be able to rush the passer, to be able to cover. What's going to be the value of that if you've got a guy who perhaps has a liability, at least, when you've got one hand that's working? What is kind of going to be the value that the Cardinals should apply for? Is this a guy who even fits in their current scheme now? Uh, what are your thoughts, at least, about him? Is this a guy that Cardinals fans should at least be hoping that your team would draft? Is this kind of a guy who you're hoping that you maybe you'll take a look at him later? Or is this a guy that you just maybe you'll look at and say, you know what, we, we have to avoid you altogether? No, I think that he has cemented himself as a day two player. I think he's going to get drafted uh, in the top 100 players based on his workout. And then you combine that with the production that he had. He's a real football player. I think when you and I touched on him uh, before the new year, Blake, and we had mentioned the fact that, you know, some team was going to draft him at some point. Um, we were thinking probably fifth, sixth, seventh round, um, fifth being the best case scenario, obviously for him. And then you, you saw how well he performed and how he backed up what he did, uh, with a tremendous senior season. I think really for the Cardinals, they're in a position where they can tout this young man and speak about his character and speak about his production. But let's be honest, they've taken three inside linebackers in the first round over the past half decade. They own Buchanan. I know it was supposed to be safety. He's playing inside linebacker now, Hassan Reddick. Um, so I, I'm stumbled there, but two um, inside linebackers in the first um, round over the last couple of years, they signed Carlos Dansby um, last year. And so that position is, is cemented now. And so I don't know what he brings to your, to your team uh, outside of, you know, a quality special team there, because he's not going to beat out in my opinion, Reddick, who I think going to have a big sophomore breakout in Daomi Buchanan, who's due a contract extension. So then, you know, you talk about him and, and the likes of the Tremont Edwards of the world. Is he going to be able to beat out um, somebody like that uh, in terms of ranking higher and on somebody's big board? I don't think so. But again, he's going to be a quality, you know, day two pick. And I think he's somebody that a lot of teams will, you know, not doubt that not only he's going to make the roster, but he's going to push for, you know, a starting role kind of like, you know, it, it's very similar to when Pat Tillman came on in the Arizona Cardinals and said, you know, I'm going to play safety and I'm going to be a starter from day one. And he forced himself into the lineup. It's not the same scenario, obviously, because he's got a, he's got a physical defect, but I think very similar character, very similar type of human being by all accounts from what I've read. Uh, but again, the Cardinals have just invested too much in their linebacking core at this point. When you've got bookend pass rushers like Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones, and you've got two first round inside linebackers, uh, it's just not something I think the Cardinals are going to do. Uh, but I could see teams in our division, the, the St. Louis Rams need linebackers. Uh, Seattle Seahawks could use, you know, a rush end. Um, you know, San Francisco 49ers are essentially at their wits end with a lot of their linebackers and could take another one. So I think that it, he could very well end up in the Cardinals division. And I would hate to see that because I'd have to root against him. But uh, somebody that I think the Cardinals aren't going to look at based just on positional need. Now, if he was a, you know, uh, a handicapped offensive lineman that put up those numbers, I think that the Cardinals would absolutely be interested, assuming that he could play to the high level like Griffin does. But 
Um, when you talk about a linebacker, I think that's one of the Cardinals' uh, lowest needs, especially when you hear that they're thinking about bringing Josh Bynes back uh, from last year was a standout player that Steve Kime kind of found off the scrap heap. So he'll provide some nice depth, assuming they can get that deal done. Um, he, just not in the cards, Blake. Nice story, though. Yeah, no, I think that's where if he was much more of like a safety linebacker hybrid um, kind of some you might even look at him as maybe in that Shaq Thompson type role. I think that if you let go of Tyron Matthew and you need someone to kind of fill that role of being that a guy who can be in coverage and a guy who can rush the passer because with Marcus Gold, we have no idea what he's going to be like coming off of that ACL. Um, it's very possible at least that he ends up being a guy who we don't need because you just take those two linebackers, stick him in there. Chandler Jones is his hand in the dirt and Marcus Golden kind of becomes that other outside linebacker guy. Uh, maybe you end up seeing that there is kind of a need for Maybe you don't. I, I think right now that we're learning a lot more about the draft as far as for the positional value. Um, and also I think it's, it is a great story, but as we talked about the fact that he's going to get pushed up that high, the Cardinals, if they're going to be in making moves are more likely going to be trading up into the draft. Unless they end up getting a Kirk cousins, they'll be trying to restock plenty of the guys on the offensive side of the football. And this is a guy who is great special team or great on defense, but I do agree with you. The Cardinals are just not really going to, I think have as high enough of a grade on him um, as some other teams. will. I could definitely see him though. ending up still in the division as the Seahawk with his brother, considering the fact that they're just going over a huge, massive overhaul. They'll probably have a pretty good grade on him. Um, and I think overall, it's one of those parts of where when you go into the combine, you never know what you're going to get coming out. And I think it is going to be an area that will be curious because if he ends up performing and plays well at a high level, it might be that you see more opportunities open up for guys uh, in future years down the road. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We come back, we're going to look around the NFL, specifically the NFC West, and also talk a look at how the Cleveland Browns, with their giant war chest of picks of, of players that they're trading for, are just basically the determiners for the 2018 NFL draft. That's going to be coming up next on the Bird Gang Blitz. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Bird Gang Blitz. So, John, let's talk a little bit just about the craziness that's happened, at least around the NFL, with the um, the, not even in free agency yet. The tampering period doesn't start until tomorrow. We're recording on a Sunday night, and we've already seen multiple trades. We've already seen um, multiple kind of commitments or signings or players that are moving around uh, let's talk a little bit just about focusing on first everything that the cleveland browns have done so uh, for those of you everyone kind of seemed to hear it was this crazy trends over the last couple of hours where you saw in a swift move the browns went and 
acquired a quarterback. They traded for Tyron Taylor, a guy who I think the Cardinals had maybe passing interest in, and maybe more of just re- like maybe not even reaching out. More was like, ah, oh, maybe they'll have some interest in looking into him. Just wondering what the price was. Uh, they traded a third round pick for him. The Bills now have. Uh, no viable starting quarterback. Uh, it seems very likely that uh, it seems very likely that they're going to want to try to trade up into the top ten of the draft similar to Kansas City last year. Uh, there's a bunch of huge fallout from that. They also went and acquired wide receiver Jarvis Landry for a day three pick from the Dolphins, including his franchise tag tender. Perhaps they'll lock him up to a long term deal. And one of the guys we talked about a lot at quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser last year. This is probably the closest to Bruce Arians type of guy. We spent a lot of time kind of going over whether he was accurate enough to draft if there was any type of you know uh, if there was any type of leadership issues as far as that was rumored around like Cardinals fans spent a lot of time hearing about Deshaun Kaiser Cardinals traded up in the second round a lot of fans up here it is it's for Kaiser turned out to be Buda Baker instead and what a great move that's turned out to be so far but he ends up going to the Packers perhaps you see Brett Hundley becomes available John what's the biggest fallout that we see from this position in the draft because it seems the Browns like that they're out on Kirk Cousins now for sure they probably know they were never in on it what do we at least see from this one? What's going to be the impact that we have on the, on the draft and this fallout? Well, I think it's just cements the fact that they're going to take a quarterback first overall. And they have now the luxury of not forcing said quarterback into the starting lineup. Tyrod Taylor, if anything is a, you know, a capable quarterback in the NFL. He's not a franchise quarterback, but he's somebody that, you know, broke a 11, 12 year playoff drought in Buffalo this year and got the bills to the playoffs. Uh, and, or I think it was longer than that, maybe 20 year playoff drought in Buffalo. And, um, the fact that, you know, they were anxious to get rid of him. Uh, they got a third round pick for him, which is great value, but at the same time they wanted to bench him and they did bench him for uh, Nathan Peterman last year. And we saw how that went, but again, he's somebody who's going to be able to take a Sam Darnold and teach him how to to be a professional Tyrod of course undrafted initially was with the Baltimore Ravens was signed by the Buffalo Bills as a free agent they got a lot of quality miles out of him but it sets up the Cleveland Browns to take Sam Darnold first overall and sit him on the bench because he's not ready to play yet he's especially not ready to play on that Browns team that look does look much better than it did uh, 48 hours ago uh, Jarvis Landry is a big time addition I think he's a he's a solid B plus receiver. Uh, and then obviously they have Josh Gordon, who's the ultimate X factor. Uh, so if they're able to get those two under contract, you know, Blake, they're going to take a running back. Isaiah Crawwell is likely headed out the door. There's rumors that Duke Johnson could be on the move as well via a trade and Saquon Barkley could be there. Pick number four. If he's not, I think that they're going to go running back like the aforementioned Nick Chubb, somebody like that in the second round, which would be a tremendous pick. They're going to load up because of all the picks that they have. And so I think that what this does is it takes a viable starting quarterback away from the Cardinals, uh, which is, you know, you know, point A. And then point B is that they're taking another viable option, which is they're going to draft one. Kirk Cousins to the Browns um, would have allowed, obviously, some of these quarterbacks to get pushed down a little bit. But now that that's not going to happen, we just have to hope that if he doesn't come to Arizona – he goes to one of the teams picking ahead of the Cardinals. But really, the Browns are just remaking their roster. Um, Sashi Brown, who was there for the last couple of years, didn't get to reap this opportunity. But they, he did set them up well for this chance to kind of reshape and make some maneuvers. I mean, every hour we got a new uh, report that they had traded somebody, that they had acquired somebody. So uh, w- 
remains to be seen how it will affect them uh, in the short term. But I do think that they're going to win probably a handful of games next year. And Tyrod Taylor is the perfect kind of steady hand quarterback. He's not going to blow you away with his stats. Only 16 touchdowns last year. But again, he's got mobility. He's going to be able to get the ball to the playmakers the Browns have. And let's face it. A team like the Browns should not have been starting Deshaun Kaiser last year, somebody who was probably the least ready quarterback of all of them that went last year, including Mitch Trubisky, somebody with a sub-60 completion percentage at the college level. He would have best served, Blake, we talked about it, sitting behind somebody like Carson Palmer for a year with Bruce Arians. And who knows, Bruce Arians might still be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals if he had a Deshaun Kaiser that he was able to groom for a year. Um, But they decided not to go that route. Um, And so the Green Bay Packers now – have an opportunity to mold him under Aaron Rodgers as a, as a security blanket says you tells you what they think of Brett Hundley, but a lot of people compare those two prospects. So uh, it remains to be seen, but I do think Cleveland made a a steady move to try to just right the ship. A third round pick is a, is a pricey, um, you know, pick to use on a quarterback that you probably aren't going to build your franchise around, especially when you take Donald first overall, but at the same time, this is a franchise that just needs to win games and in yeah, no, the the biggest thing with the Browns, at least, is it seems that they're taking all that Sashi did, and it's kind of, I think, even somebody compared it to, like, with, um, we're looking about with um, the Philadelphia uh, the 76ers, at least, everything that they went through. Um, I, I, I think it's, like, with Sam Hinkie, and it's, like, people even, I think even a Browns guy said, like, you know, like, Sashi died for our sins. <laughs> it was just one of the funny things of recognizing that this is a, this team went from Hugh Jackson being like, hey, we're going to trade a second and a third round pick for A.G. McCarron at the trade deadline just so we can win a game this year to keeping those picks, being able to acquire a much better quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, having a guy like John Dorsey running the show who seems to be much more in charge. It's not going to be like, you know, they're not, they didn't sign McCarron to a big contract like Hugh Jackson would have wanted. It seems like he's kind of taken over there. And I think that in some cases it favors the Cardinals. Um, in terms of if you have a you know a quarterback that's taken at one, perhaps that number four pick is available. On the other hand, it also is a spot of if they are going to be taking a quarterback here, and the New York Giants take a quarterback, unless you know a Bradley Chubb really seems to impress, um, and he's another guy who maybe with him and Barkley could be those other guys who fill out picks three and four. Maybe that pick ends up being available, but it might end up being a spot where you end up seeing some of these quarterbacks. You might see four quarterbacks go in the top six picks. You got the Broncos looking to have a land of players. Um, if they can't get Kirk Cousins, the Jets also looking if they can't get Cousins. If Cousins goes to the Vikings, the only thing that really kind of benefits the Arizona Cardinals is that you got Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater out there. So you'll at least probably be able to have a better viable starting option. Uh, if you decide that you don't want to go down with Josh McCown route, you can't lure him away from the Jets. Um, you probably have an option, one of those guys who's there, who's not going to have to be settling for a Brock Osweiler. And while I would absolutely hate the idea of Osweiler coming here, it's something that you have to look at as possibility given his time under, uh, with, uh, not just with John Fox, but his time under uh, the Mike McCoy. Yep, Mike McCoy. And as a backup, you're like, okay, maybe that seems to make a bit of sense, but you're not going to be looking at a backup with the Cardinals unless they end up kind of trading up into the top of the draft and starting a quarterback, you're probably going to be sitting that guy on the bench at least for a good six games of the season. Just because you have so much offensive upheaval, you're not going to be bringing that guy in uh, behind a solid offensive line with solid weapons. It's going to be very different. So I think that was the big fallout at least was just seeing that uh, you also had a guy who was another potential viable developmental option in, uh, in Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, he's a guy who I think if you bring him in as a quarterback three, a guy who you can develop behind, he, he would have been a much more – 
uh, talented and cheaper than any day three pick the Cardinals could look at at a quarterback. And he's off the market now in Green Bay, sit behind Aaron Rodgers for a few years. Um, so perhaps that ends up being kind of a success story of the Green Bay Packers and their system, but perhaps he becomes another Brett Hundley. Uh, one thing you can also talk about that is highlighted is the NFC West in terms of just kind of this implosion of the Seattle Seahawks that we saw last season and turned into them having guys left and right, having some guys who are players who may never play again. And then LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers taking advantage of these opportunities to kind of go and strike now while the iron's hot, while they have this quarterbacks on a rookie deal, while they just have Jimmy Garoppolo. You saw the Rams make a trade for the Broncos with Akeem Tlaib bringing him in. It allows them to have a little bit of cap space as well when they traded away um, their kind of starting linebacker uh, who went over to the New York Jets at least in for a second at least. His name uh, escapes me at least with that. But uh, they Basically, the Giants looking to go all in. They finally acquired a linebacker, something they've been avoiding for years and years. Teams have just run up uh, all in. It's Alec Ogletree is the name of the guy. The Giants at least are – probably going to be in the market of it seems like not drafting a quarterback because if you're drafting a quarterback you're starting to kind of blow up the ship they seem to be going all in on eli for a year or two uh and that's very interesting when it comes to the cardinals and andrew norwell it means that number two pick might end up being available now or perhaps they're going to take a look at a saquon barkley maybe they even trade back with another team with someone who tries to move up to go and acquire a guy like an allen a donald uh, maybe even a rosen uh, but it's interesting, at least to see at the Giants, the entire talk seems to be that they're not going to be drafting a quarterback. Uh, Eli Manning seems to be available, and that just seems to absolutely favor um, the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the other thing you look at as well is that Richard Sherman uh, leaving the Seattle Seahawks. You look at the, the fact that the Eagles have made a trade for Michael Bennett, a guy who's been kind of a problem child. And the fact that, you know, there's still news coming out is you don't think that Cam Chancellor is going to play again. We don't know if. I got Cliff Averill's going to play again. Jeremy Lane was cut in addition. This has just been this kind of entirely new Seahawks team we're going to see in addition to the new Cardinals. The only thing that seems to be consistent is Russell Wilson. Uh, let's talk a little bit just about the Giants in that number two spot. Uh, what do you think as far as for the Cardinals? What's been the fallout? Because the NFC West seems to be heating up, but it's not the Cardinals and the Seahawks who've been fighting for the division the last few years. The shoe's on the other foot now with the Rams and the 49ers um, making a lot of moves there. What's kind of the fallout that we see, at least, especially with the Giants and that number two pick potentially being available? Yeah, I'll first start with the Giants, Blake. I think it's absolutely available. It baffles me that they're not going to go quarterback. But we saw the fallout of benching Eli Manning a year ago and the mutiny that, that took place with that front office, and I don't think they've recovered since then. They were so scared straight by the benching of Eli Manning. It's, it was the right move, in my opinion, to secure a top pick in what is a historic quarterback class. It, it just befuddles me that they are not at least publicly considering taking a quarterback and going with Eli Manning. That We've seen how that goes, Blake. We've, we've been a part of that over the last couple of years. We've lived through that with Carson Palmer. It's not that Carson Palmer wasn't a quality quarterback, but the Cardinals, if they had a top five pick, I would ho- would have hoped would have taken a quarterback to um, you know learn under Carson Palmer or Eli Manning in, in the Giants' case. So I, I just think it's a horrific mistake if they don't take one. As much as I like Saquon Barkley, uh, because you know Eli Manning to me is just an average quarterback right now. He hasn't shown the ability to have any kind of mobility outside the pocket. That Giants offensive line. Dave Gettleman said is, is a big time problem. He'll obviously try to address that. But at the same time, I think we've seen the best ball from Eli Manning. But again, they've got quality skilled players. They've got old Dale Beckham. They've got the tight end from Old Miss they took last year. Uh, and if you add Saquon Barkley, that's, that's a hell of a supporting cast. But again, it doesn't matter when you're going up against Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott and 
Now Alex Smith, who I think is the superior quarterback to Eli Manning, he's the fourth best quarterback in that division. So I don't get it. What I do get is the fact that there's going to be a lot of teams, not just the Cardinals, I would assume, that want that second overall pick. And I, I don't think the Cardinals have an opportunity to get it based on the fact that the Buffalo Bills just traded their starting quarterback from a year ago. And listen to this, Blake. This is the Buffalo Bills draft position the first two nights. They've got pick number 21, 22, 53, 56, 65, and 96. If you're counting oh, on yes, this, it's crazy. <laughs> that's two first rounders, three second rounders almost simultaneously and then obviously a third rounder pick 96 on top of being able to spend future draft capital if they had to that's that's a package that i think a lot of teams especially the new york giants would salivate over the cardinals do have the opportunity to you know sweeten the pot with future picks they are picking higher than the bills at pick 15 but not by many so in my opinion i think the cardinals want to be in that market for a trade-up but I think at the same time, they just they don't have the ammunition. And we've talked about it at nauseam, Blake, um, you know, over the course of this season, that the Cardinals aren't going to be able to compete with the likes of the Browns and the Bills and the 49ers when they were in a quarterback market because of all the picks they had, they had accumulated. The, the Bills punted on a quarterback last year for this opportunity. So whether it's Josh Allen, Darnold, Rosen, one of these guys, um, they're going to get snagged up by Buffalo. So just you know, plan on seeing that on draft night. It's going to be unfortunate for the Cardinals unless they get aggressive ahead of the draft because we've seen Blake with Steve Kime when it comes to draft day. You know, he's not afraid to trade up, but when it comes to the quarterback position, he is afraid to pull the trigger. He is afraid to go and get his guy, and he too many times has been waiting for that franchise quarterback to fall to him. And I'm going to give you some more statistics here uh, via Twitter. The last couple drafts we've seen these quarterbacks been acquired by other teams based on trade. Teams have traded to get them. Trubisky was traded up by Chicago. Mahomes mm-hmm. traded up by Kansas City. Watson traded up by Houston. Goff obviously traded up pre-draft for, for the St. Louis, now the L.A. Rams. Wentz for the Philadelphia Eagles. Paxton Lynch was moved up by the Denver Broncos. And then Winston and Mariota were the first and second overall picks in the draft. Uh, Bortles was the number three pick in the draft. Menzel, the Browns traded up for him. Bridgewater, Vikings traded up for him. Uh, going back to E.J. Manuel uh, was traded up by the Buffalo Bills. You can't sit back and expect you know, a marquee franchise quarterback or even a, you know, a quarterback prospect with a first or second round grade to fall to you when you need it. You need to have the stones to move up and get your guy and worry about everything else later. Like we talked about find corners and linebackers and defensive linemen. You can find those at any point. There's a ton of them in free agency this year. What, what is there not of? There's not great quarterbacks available outside of maybe a top 13 quarterback and Kirk cousins, and he's going to get way overpaid. So you, you can't spend enough draft capital on finding your guy. But again, Blake, we've talked about it. Steve Kime is afraid to pull that trigger and he's gone the safe route. In my opinion, for job security. He doesn't want to be tied to a quarterback long-term, especially with Bruce Arians in the mold of win now. Um, But now with Steve Wilkes, their contracts mirror each other, their extensions mirror each other. He doesn't have an excuse now. If he doesn't get Kirk Cousins in free agency, he's got to end up with one of the top four or five uh, quarterback prospects in this class. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I know some have even brought up the idea of where they think the Cardinals are going to trade for Nick Foles because they feel like that they're going to almost have to just because they, they're they like, if you're not going to get Kirk Cousins, 
you're in a position where there's not another quality veteran quarterback on the market. He seems reliable. And just the fact that the team seems ready to compete now, they also keep talking, you know, saying retool instead of using the rebuild terminology. And I think ultimately this is a team where if they don't get that starting quarterback and they don't build enough of a team around it, it is ultimately going to end up being a rebuild uh, if they end up in a position where, you know, if you own the next year and you're having to say, hey, we're having quarterback competition between Osweiler, Glennon, and Josh McCown, you're basically in an area where you have to say, no, you're not, you're not just a retooling team, you're a rebuilding team. And you're a team that probably needs to copy and look at what the Browns and what the Bills did last year to put themselves into a position for this year. And that ultimately is kind of bailing and trading back when you can't get a quarterback prospect or if you're not sold on them. You bail out, you get to the next year, and you end up looking at trying to build up until you can get that quarterback. Now you look at where the Browns are sitting now. They traded out of Deshaun Watson. They didn't get that pick. Well, look where they are now. Now they've got that number four pick as well as getting in that number one spot. So they at least have the ability to bring in a not just a franchise quarterback, but potentially a franchise-changing player, such as if they decide to go with a Barkley, if they decide to bring in a Bradley Chubb, or even trading back from that pick, at least if a team decides to move up, and then being able to kind of take in a haul of 2019 picks as well, having two 2019 first-round picks next year with an improved roster. is very. It just shows that when you don't have a quarterback, that just shows that the entire emphasis and the team changes because all of a sudden you're kind of scrambling around. You see what the Niners did the last few years. When you do have that quarterback, things just change around. You have people who want to come and play for your team. You also end up in a position where you're able to win games and when you've got a plenty of cap space. And that's what kind of an interesting thing I think that we've had to touch a little bit on is this. With Steve Kime and the team, you look at what their team kind of stands now at the end of the Bruce Arians era. And in some ways, I think that they're a stronger team now than they were coming off of the Ken Wisenhunt era. You look at guys like you look at his trade for Chandler Jones, signing him to a deal that if you waited a season or put him on the franchise tag, Jones probably wouldn't be a member of the Cardinals right now. He'd be playing for a different team. Um, you might be looking at how if a guy like Demarcus Lawrence gets paid. He's probably going to make more than Chandler Jones will. And I think in a couple of years, we'll look back if that was kind of maybe a franchise changing move at the time when they needed to have a franchise pass rusher to keep the defense going they were able to acquire one you look at another couple of the picks like a Buddha Baker uh, I think that this is a thing where you can say that Steve Kine he's been so far at least in a lot of the moves a good GM where the team is now you're at a crossroads where it's probably it's not underwhelming it's, it's not over exaggerating to say that this is the most important offseason that Steve Kine may have in his career because he'll have to come out of the draft on draft day of having quarterback he'll have to have a veteran to help to get in free agency he'll need to also be able to have offensive weapons for the future and make sure that they're balanced enough on the defensive side where some of these picks are able to pan out when you want to see Buda Baker not become a Tyron Matthew who gets hurt and injured you want to basically see Hassan Reddick develop into the guy that they thought he'd be at pick 13 you'd hope that a guy like Kandiji can develop or maybe a Rodney Gunter and Olsen Pierre who seemed like he was on the track to being able to be the kind of that Cardinal starting impact player not Kandiji by the end of the season uh, but I think that's going to be the whole thing for the Cardinals as we've talked about this year. Is this is going to be the year that will determine whether Steve Kime is a good GM who's gotten unlucky with injuries uh, or if he's an okay, maybe not as good GM who's gotten lucky and hit on a couple of key picks. And uh, I think there's arguments for both sides. We talk about getting unlucky with a Jonathan Cooper having a terrible career-defining injury, Tyron Matthew having awful injuries. Um, Kandichi, even Kevin Minter struggled with injuries his first two years before he kind of became that kind of one of the defensive leaders. Um, wasn't ever that player that he was, you know, they're hoping he'd be as far as a three-down linebacker. The league shifted away from those two-down run stuffing guys. But that's the biggest thing I think what we can take away uh, from this year is that this is going to have to be your Steve Kine has to work his magic and – I agree with you. It's going to start at least with cutting a lot of that invested talent and a lot of those big names that we've talked about 
um, that we've seen on the Cardinals over the last few years. Uh, let's go ahead and let's move on and talk a little bit just about the Arizona Cardinals. Let's let's address the elephant in the room, which is Tyron Matthew and his contract situation, because this is an area where you and I had discussions about where is it going to be something that to keep him? Is it something where he's going to get cut? We know that it confirmed that the Cardinals at least asked him to take a pay cut. I had talked about how I felt that restructuring his contract would have been the best deal because you would have been able to save more money this season uh, versus straight up just cutting him with some of the dead cap. Uh, but you are at least going to have some savings, at least it looks like about $9 million or so would be kind of what it would be saved. And a lot of people are questioning whether he's the same player that he was that you, when you paid him all that money. Um, what are your thoughts at least in the Tyron Matthews situation, John? And let's just say, like, do you think that he's going to be a Cardinal when we're sitting here on March 15th? Or is this a guy who's going to be on the free agent market? Maybe he'll come back to the team at least if he doesn't see what he likes in the agent. Or is this going to be kind of it for the Honey Badger in Arizona? I think that this is his last few days with the team. I think that they've made an effort to try to ask him to take a pay cut, uh, you know, leaning on the fact that he does like it in Arizona, but you know, he went on NFL network and, you know, basically stood his ground as to why he didn't feel like he needed to take a pay cut. Uh, I think that speaks volumes. I don't think he should. He just signed that contract two off seasons ago. He played well last year. The Cardinals didn't have to give him that contract. They could have gone year to year. Um, they didn't owe him, anything they took a chance on him with I think a lot of few teams did and have stuck by him you know through these injuries but they have out clauses in this contract that will allow them to avoid his massive bonus that's coming up and I think combining with the fact that Budu Baker essentially plays a similar role maybe not the exact same role but a similar role and the fact that you've got Budu Baker now on a cheap uh, four-year contract uh, and you're getting let's face it superior production than Tyron I think it gives you, you know, all the reason in the world to look at other options, especially when you have to fill out an offensive side of the, the ball with new bodies and new players this, this season. And where's that money going to come from? You're already paying Patrick Peterson big-time money. Defensively, you've got multiple key players like Dayon Buchanan, Marcus Bolt, Golden, needing extensions. Maybe they want to add somebody up front on the defensive line. Maybe you look to lock up Lynn Olsen Pierre on a, on a – contract extension he had a nice season last year um i just think that tyron right now is a luxury that the cardinals probably can't afford and it's unfortunate if this was a team that was ready to take the next step even a team that we thought had a chance to compete for a playoff spot next year tyron in his mid-20s i think will play well next year assuming he doesn't have another injury come up um that would make sense but by all accounts, the Cardinals are going to be a team in transition, even if it's just for a year, and they can't afford to pay him what, what they're paying him now. It just doesn't make sense. If he was a left tackle, if he was a pass rusher, obviously if he was a quarterback, one of the marquee positions, but you know, slot corner, which is essentially what he's become, a little bit of hybrid safety, you just you can't do it. Um, the, the Rams are in the similar position where they want to pay LaMarcus Joyner, uh, but they can't get a deal done. They had to franchise tag him because what do you really pay these kind of players? We just we haven't seen the market develop yet. We just don't know. Uh, and the Cardinals, did they overspend a little bit locking up Tyron? Maybe. But again, they've given themselves an out. Uh, I would love to see him spend you know his entirety of his career in Arizona because I think he's got a lot of good football left. And we saw how well he played over the second half of last year, I don't think he gave up a touchdown in 2018. Um, so, and I'd be anxious to see how Steve Wilkes used him defensively, but again, all, you know, 
all, by all accounts, everything that Blake that we're hearing via the national media, via Twitter, that Tyron Matthew will be cut at some point if they can't trade him and uh, absorb some of that contract. Uh, it would be great if they were able to get some kind of compensation. But the biggest factor is you cut him. You're not going to get anything. You're not going to get you know comp picks in future years. You're just going to get that money and to be able to allocate it elsewhere, I think is what Steve Kime inevitably wants to do. Yeah, part of it is just the cost. And then also when you look at how he played last year, the biggest impact that he had on the team in the scheme was when Buda Baker stepped into the lineup. They simplified the defense. You have to see Tyron make a lot of plays on the line. He wasn't in coverage as much. Now, when he was in coverage, he was still making plays on the ball. You saw some of the explosiveness seemed to be back. The confidence was there. Uh, I, I think but really he was the guy who was more on the line as that strong safety type role. Buda Baker was much more playing the nickel corner and that they were using him like Buda's numbers went kind of like, you know, through the roof. That was part of why he made the Pro Bowl in addition to awesome special teams play. Uh, he just looked like a different player. Tyron, at least, I think to me, is a guy who he's in a different role. He'll still be getting on the field for a lot of snaps. He's still like probably one of the uh, the more de- it'll be one of the more in demand free agents out there if he hits the market. Not just for the name value, but also the fact that you know this is a guy who was at one point an NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he struggled a lot last year. At- Cowboys game comes to mind where the team had bottled up Ezekiel Elliott all game. Matthew comes in for a tackle, and it just didn't look like the same Matthew as old uh, Elliott got free. And that was kind of one of those parts of where um, the game just kind of got out of hand, and it just didn't look like the old Tyron Matthew would have made that tackle. Now, that being said, this is a guy who also, if you look at the Jaguars game, you look at the end of the Colts game, with his interception and his ball hawking skills, we have not yet seen that from Buda Baker. Uh, if, if he improves that year and starts seeing more of the targets and kind of start catching, hauling in some of these interceptions, I think that might be at least an area where maybe you do justify and say, all right, you saved the millions of dollars, you moved on uh, from Matthew. It was just kind of a, it, you're just, you know, between a rock and a hard place. If he doesn't, though, you are looking at a guy who had those two picks, and you could argue at least, you know, the Cardinals might be a 6-10 and 10 team. Um, without Matthew making that interception of the Colts game with the ball skills and then also in the Jaguars game. Uh, it just gets something where you see a very natural player. He's maybe not the athlete that he had been after the ACLs. Um, the confidence was something we heard all throughout camp. Of, he had to build it back up. It'll be really interesting. It'll be sad, I think, that right now as things stand, I think the team, they're not probably willing to take a restructure. They've offered him a significant pay cut. Unless, and I think that would be a team out there, like maybe the Jets or another team that's got cap space that would be able to afford him. I think unless the Cardinals decide that they want to restructure or unless Matthew decides he does want to take a pay cut and perhaps get to free agency a little bit quicker, uh, similar to what Justin Bethel did last year, I think that it is going to be kind of heading for inevitable divorce right now. Um, perhaps I'm wrong. I've been kind of sticking out and said that I have the 50-50. I took him being on the team versus off. I'll still stand by that, what I said a few months ago, but it would not shock me at all if I cut him and let him go, especially if they do think they have a shot at landing Kirk Cousins and Andrew Norwell. Having that $9 million in cap savings now and then looking at 2019, potentially with a rookie quarterback contract, if that's the plan that Steve Kime has, then you'd really be looking at those savings going into next year, being able to go out and bring in some of these guys to kind of make a run. Uh, let's go over a couple more of the free agents who we'll keep before we kind of take a look ahead at the free agency market, just before we get into that area and then kind of wrap up looking at the quarterbacks and where we stand. But there's four players that the Cardinals have been kind of rumored that they want to keep or to um, kind of extend. Uh, and those guys are Josh Bynes, inside linebacker, played well. Kareem Martin, uh, he's a player who they're looking at at least as kind of keeping him a solid year. He probably wouldn't be um, too expensive to keep. Kerwin Williams and Tremont Williams, the cornerback. And I think overall, this is a list, at least when you first hear it, you're like, these are more of the bit players, role guys. It's, uh, it's not going to be kind of the flashy names like Marcus Golden or the Dale Buchanan 
Uh, it's not going to be the David Johnson type guy who I'd expect that they probably will get some form of extension done before we get into training camp with David Johnson, just because uh, I think that they'll take advantage of what Le'Veon Bell has by having a franchise tag to try to lock him up for cheaper, maybe than the market would decide in a few years. But what are your thoughts first of these four guys, as far as for players are, are the guys that you'd want to keep to bring back are the guys that you think that maybe they'd be better off just letting go. Um, what are your thoughts, at least in those four names that are right there, John? I think Josh Bynes is somebody that I would absolutely bring back on a short-term deal. I think he was tremendous in his limited time, especially starting later in the season uh, and quite frankly, outplaying Hassan Reddick. I hope Reddick gets it together this year, but Bynes at the very least is an excellent special team there. Uh, we both talked about it at nauseam Blake. Uh, Tremont Williams should have been starting at the beginning of last year. Justin Bethel just couldn't play the position effectively. Uh, that is the number two corner opposite Patrick Peterson. Uh, Williams played exceptionally well and was the ideal candidate to play opposite Patrick Peterson. I saw a lot of balls thrown his way. had a nice uh, amount of statistics in terms of pass breakups. And I think you could get him on a relatively cheap, deal those would be the two that that jump out to me quite frankly Blake I don't see anybody else that's worthy of a contract extension John Brown to me has just been a complete non-factor over the last two years and that's with Carson Palmer in the fold Uh, so what does that tell you I think JJ Nelson uh, frankly has supplanted him on the depth chart and it's so unfortunate because he was such a promising player and an absolute no-brainer to be a part of this franchise's future but again you know, when it comes to his, you know, ability to stay healthy with sickle cell, with some of the other issues he's had. Um, and it's not like the Cardinals play outdoors in Buffalo or Cleveland or New York or places where he'd have to, you know, deal with the elements. I mean, you, you get to play in Arizona eight times a year. You get to play on the West Coast. You get to play in San Francisco. You get to play in Los Angeles. I mean, you get to play in a lot of these towns and these cities where, you know, you're not dealing with inclement weather. And that, that in my opinion, will help you stay healthier over the course of a 16-game schedule. And John just has too many issues uh, from a health standpoint. Tremendous person. I hope he does well. But uh, he's not somebody I'd be looking to invest in right now. So Bynes is a no-brainer to me, especially because of his age. Tremont Williams, I would think, would want to come back. But again, um, James Betcher could try to court him into coming to you know the New York Giants now that they just cut Dominic rogers Cromartie. So his familiarity with, with James, I think, could, could play a role into that. But he's somebody that the Cardinals essentially took off the scrap heap in uh, late summer last year and uh, became a nice player for him. I hope they, they're able to extend them. Yeah, definitely. I think that with Bynes, it'll be interesting because right now looking at last year with the way that it had been set up with, uh, as we talked about with the linebacker core, you can pretty easily kind of slide in Dale Buchanan and slide in uh, a guy like Hassan Reddick into the roles that Luke, Luke Kuchley and Thomas Davis had. But the Shaq Thompson role as far as for where you're playing a linebacker and first and second down and then kind of used in nickel, that's really like almost identically to what Dale Buchanan's been used for at the Cardinals so having kind of a Mike linebacker as far as maybe that's Bynes role of being able to kind of cover be able to run up against the blitz or if that's going to be taken over by Reddick uh, it'll be interesting at least to see but I, I think that that just tells me that it's a possibility that Marcus Goldman is not going to factor as much into this team's plan if they're going to switch to more of a four three and have four down linemen does that really fit Golden as far as for him being a linebacker and is he going to be the same player coming off of an ACL or we're going to start seeing Marcus Golden in coverage I'm not sure we, we really don't know this spot maybe the defense even is going to be more like last year's than we think um, but that's where it's, I think that all of those are good decisions as far as for keeping those guys they'll clearly let John Brown and Jerron Brown walk I think Jerron's a, he's a valuable player as far as for special teams and as a number three or number four guy but really when every time that you you know some teams may view him as a number three some may even have him as a number two Um, probably a team like the Jets who haven't known what a number two wide receiver is for a a long time since they've had Eric Decker and 
Um, but maybe you take a look at the Cardinals with their their current status and just recognize this is a team that's not really going to be able to bring in a whole lot of free agents outside of one or two big names. And they're going to be more focused on keeping their own guys just because they have to keep their own guys on their defense, keep the defense going because they're going to be investing so many new players in offense. Um, I do think that it'll be interesting, at least with Kerwin Williams being a name to bring back. I totally agree with that, but I think if you bring him back, it's more going to be for a, a camp role or a test. TJ Logan, I think you and I have earned agreement that he's the chance to be kind of a special third down player, kick returner, a change of pace back. Uh, and I think that he may be a guy who will outshadow because Kerwin Williams, his best fit was in Bruce Arians inside to out running scheme, running up the middle. He's still probably a better inside, best inside runner on the team, even better, I should say, than David Johnson is at this point. And that's where it'll be interesting if the Cardinals, I think they do need to find more of that complimentary back to DJ who can still run it up the gut on the middle, follow the interior blocking. Kerwin might be that guy, but he's, I think, just not really at that level where um, you want to invest a high amount of money in him or invest more than just a, a camp spot. And that will wrap it up for part one of this two-part free agency preview on the Bird Gang Blitz. Check out part two. It'll be coming to you tomorrow. We'll break down more of the free agent news happening in the NFL as well as the top quarterbacks. What will the Cardinals have to give up? That'll be coming up all tomorrow. Stay tuned. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. It happens every year. Pencils, toothpaste, loose change, trick-or-treaters, cheated out of their treats, trail mix, soap, a battery? Don't be that house. This year, find all your Halloween goodies online or in-store at Smart and Final and give them something good to eat. Now at Smart and Final, get a free Halloween tote bag with any purchase of $50 while supplies last. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.